Have you ever felt like you were made for a higher purpose? Like listening to America's holiest podcast, The Pod People? Well, that's right. You were. So come on in. I'm God. All of them? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> hey, I'm walking over here. It's uh, Coney Island's number one fan, Ben Sheets. <laughs> it's solid. Hi, I'm Cleveland Mosier, and I'm here to repent for my shins. Because <laughs> I got sexy legs. I got some sexy legs, and I need to repent. Well, we are out here this evening, this fine, warm evening. Uh, it is warm as shit. It's hot. Yeah. It's hot, even. Um, it was like below freezing just like two nights ago. Yeah. Anywho... Uh, we're going to be talking about a uh, brand new, or rather newly released in the U.S. film, Saint Maud, a film that we have all been uh, hotly anticipating, uh, just about as hot as it is outside today. Girl, look at that Maudie. Eh? <laughs> Girl, look at that Maudie. Um, <laughs> God, that's so stupid. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, <laughs> I work out. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Uh this film is a uh a English film written and directed by Rose Glass, starring Morphid Clark, Jennifer L, Lily Knight, and Lily Fraser. Uh and it is about a extremely religious and pious nurse who becomes obsessed with saving the soul of one of her patients. Can you say that Rose Glass sounds like a pen name? Like for like a period piece writer, because it's like they're you know looking back with rose colored glasses. It it doesn't. It's too good of a name. <laughs> like it, it can't be real. Well, I don't know about that. It Turns might out be. they are. Yeah. As I mentioned, yeah this this film is. Uh, it's been out for a little while internationally, but it got its U.S. release pushed uh, due to COVID. Um, and uh, I think we saw the first previews for it back last, like, March, around this time last year. Yep. Um, a little before. It was bef definitely before lockdown because we were still going to see movies in the theaters. Yeah, I, I want to say it was uh, we were watching a different movie about mods, uh, as in body modifications. I think it was for, uh, oh shit, what was the name of that movie? Uh, Upgrade. No, Upgrade would have been, we saw Upgrade here. We didn't go see that in the theater. No, we saw Upgrade. Oh, fuck it. This is a totally, no, we didn't. A totally uh, different conversation. We absolutely did not. So we, we were looking forward to this movie because the trailer looked really dope. And we finally saw it. Uh, and before we get into the nitty gritty, first impressions, did it live up to y'all's expectations? Yeah. What do you think? I thought it was great. I, I thought so too. It goes in some different directions than I was initially expecting. Yes. And I think it's better for it. I think it's a little more grounded oddly enough than i yes. was expecting but i love me some psychological horror i love me some repulsion vibes and this religious movie, theme uh, yeah came I, through in spades i love a movie where somebody is irreparably fucked up by their religious beliefs true that and, true it, that. and it makes their mental uh instability leagues worse and this is one of those movies i agree uh i was surprised that it was a little more grounded than i was expecting i think some of that is is due to like trailer misrepresentation i don't think necessarily in a bad 
bad way. Uh, the trailer kind of leads you to believe that it's like might be like a demonic possession kind of movie. Yeah. Gives you those those kinds of vibes, and it's it's not. It's it's much more grounded than that. I think that the supernatural uh, elements are ambiguous to the point of being, uh, I think, all in our protagonist's I, head. I don't remember anything supernatural in the trailer. I, I was actually going in <laughs> expecting it to be like crazy religious based. Well, killer, well like, they movie. show her like floating her in levitating. the air. Yeah, that's oh, that's like man. the money shot of the trailer. Yeah, and mm-hmm. writhing around on the floor, you almost assume it's going to be like an exorcism type of yeah. modern huh. art house thing, and then it turns out to all be subjective. Yes, from her point of view. So, well, my expectation going in, I think uh, all of my expectations were met. Uh, I think every box was checked for this movie, and I want to say uh, no more and no less. I, I would agree with that. I very much so enjoyed this movie. Thought it was great. I don't think it's the best film I've seen this year, but I think it's it's I think it's very good. Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't seen many uh, new films, but it's definitely one of the best. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think I would agree with that as well. I went in with pretty high expectations and those expectations were met, but it did not necessarily exceed those expectations. And I'll be the first to say, like, that can almost be a bit of a spoiled opinion. It is by no means a complaint. No, like we're I said, high expectations, I think quite good. high expectations were met. I thought yeah. it was a great movie. Not every film I, I see needs to, you know, I need to scream about, you know, how amazing <laughs> it was or how shitty it was. This one was quite damn good. Like, it's yeah. a really... It's a really nice, nice little character study. Uh, it's very simple to its benefit. It does not need to get convoluted and twisty and turny. Don't get um, it twisted, as no, they say. It's it's very straightforward in terms of its narrative, but it really succeeds in sort of the unreliability of its narrator. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think personally it exceeded my expectations a bit. You know, starting out, I was a little nervous because it starts the film by kind of presenting us how fucked the the main character is and kind of displaying that for us Mm -hmm. and so going in after that i was a little worried that there wasn't going to be a great deal of progression when you have a character that starts fucked how much more fucked can they get really you know like usually with movies like this it'll be like a descent into madness of sorts and with this you know She's crazy. She from starts. The she starts the film broken. You know what I want to compare it to? Superhero movies. Like we didn't have to deal with an origin story. I agree. Arcs are great, but in this case, for for the kind of film that it is, we've seen that arc so many times before, and it was nice to just like get into who the character is and well, just explore that in in the short runtime. Which I also want to point out: this movie has like a really forgivable. It's run like time. eighty minutes. Yeah, well, yeah. And the nice thing is, you know, even though we do start mad, like I do still think there is a sort of descent into madness. It's just more subtly done because we start at eight rather than one. <laughs> no, you know? yeah, yeah, true, and yeah. and we start mad, we get madder. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The, well said. the thing is that I, I think is, is interesting about it as well. The film starts with Maud being broken already. We don't really see what breaks her and we never find out either. So the film is less than a, a descent into madness. It's sort of like an exploration of how mad she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's a discovery of character and less yeah. of a change of character right because like you said it's not an origin story we get just like the the barest hint 
at the very beginning, um, we see her in like a hospital room that is just like gore splattered, and there's there's a corpse on on the operating table, and she kind of Maud is sitting in the corner with blood on her hands, and she looks up at the ceiling, very Christ-like. She's got the the blood on her hands, looks kind of stigmata esque. Um, and we see a, like a, a roach or a beetle or something crawling on the ceiling, and then it jumps forward in time. So it's like there's multiple instances in the movie where characters are referring to an event, something that happened, and I think that that beginning is we're seeing just the slightest hint of the aftermath, but we never get any context for it, and I really like that. Because, mm-hmm. like, I don't think we, we necessarily need to know what broke her. But something did, and it has done so in a way that she has not been able to recover from and has, like, really irreparably fucked her up. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because I feel like in a standard film, you would not show that, and it would be, you know, hinted back at and maybe some sort of brief flashback of sorts, whereas with this film... Or they would just say it in Yeah, exposition. or just say yeah. it, which they do in this film as well. You know, it's mentioned vaguely. Well, yeah, and, that and, something yeah. happened, but what actually happened is yeah. not. Yeah. yeah, it starts with that, so it kind of gives you a sense, uh, a sort of unease throughout the, the rest of it, because you, you kind of see how broken she is. Yes. So... When she's caring for Amanda, you know something's up, whereas I feel like if we didn't start with that, it would have seemed a little more normal, you know, to an extent at first. I like that the film starts by telling us, hey, something really bad happened to this character. Doesn't matter what that is. That's not important. But by vaguely alluding to it, it sets up everything we need to know. Because then we see her, you know, in the future. She is no longer working at a hospital. She's doing private care now because it's easier. It's, it's uh, you know, lower stress. And we see that she has also uh, recently become... Uh, highly religious. She clarifies at a, at a certain point that it's a, a recent thing for her that that she has found God. We can assume that whatever happened at the hospital that she was working at traumatized her to the extent that she tried to find some comfort in religion, but has thrown herself so headlong into it that it has reached like a truly unhealthy degree, um, when she really just needs to go to therapy or something. Goddamn. Yeah. I think, yeah, like, that's the scariest and like saddest thing about this movie. She's the... a tragic character for yeah, sure. Yeah, like the... The way I said that, like, yeah, yeah. she's so tragic. No, oh my God, she's oh, tragic. She's so no, um, for real though, yes, she's so isolated and lonely. Mm-hmm. And and you know that if she had like anyone like there or actually reaching out or caring, but the closest she gets is her friend. You know who just narrowly misses that. It's such like a, a sad and like tense and compelling scene when her yeah. friend comes to check on her because she almost catches what's going on. And you know too that if she did. It, probably wouldn't have ended well for her the friend that is and so there's sort of two points there where it's like oh she could get the care she needs but clearly that's that's not going to happen and i i like that a lot because i tend to mention this on any podcast episode with with, that depicts the mentally ill the mentally ill are often uh vilified and over vilified in movies i don't work in the in the the field 
Uh, shame we don't have Sarah on this episode. But uh, I, I feel like this one largely gets a pass because of that. She is still, like, a very human character. She's... Well, it feels honest, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, I don't think she's really a villain. Like, she does, by the end, do some horrible things, but it never feels... Like the film is saying that she's like a bad person who is who's like deserving of vilification. Like I I think she is like a Maud is a tragic character. Like I I feel bad for her the, mm-hmm. for the entirety of the film. The, well, the reason it works is because the film is so subjective through her lens. Yes, you know if the movie took a more objective positioning and filmed things more from a distance, I don't think it would work because mm-hmm. you're distancing yourself from the experience of the character and kind of on the outside looking in whereas this you're with her through mm-hmm. those events and you experience those events with her and, and that she's so almost makes her isolated too that yeah you don't get those other perspectives it, you don't have an opportunity it, for it's it. a really interesting position because it makes her sort of a tragic hero in a way in the same sense as, like, the main character in, like, Repulsion or something, mm-hmm. where, you know, they are not completely well, but you're experiencing that with them, so you sympathize and you empathize. Yeah, it's it's more, I think, a reflection on, like, the failure of society to give people who are mentally unwell, like, the proper help that they need, and they sort of leave them to fend for themselves in many cases, uh, which is, like, absolutely what has happened to Maud here, you know? Like, she doesn't have an outlet to address whatever traumatic event she has experienced, so she's left to her own devices and throws herself headlong into religion um as i mentioned before to a really unhealthy degree and and you we see her also for for a very brief period take a foray a foray into the opposite as well yeah trying to fill that void in, in another un, in an equally unhealthy way um when she has a, a crisis of faith yeah. uh, midway through the film which any good religion themed film needs mm-hmm. that scene is so unsettling <laughs> oh my I, god I, I, I did i did want to hit on your point getting like the the introspective perspective i, I think it is the, it is the saving factor i think you're right i do think that that can also be done and has been done like poorly or horribly an example that's like very well written that might uh, that is also like from and a reliable narrator would be like the telltale heart, you know, I'm not really crazy, am I? Like, you know, yeah. that, that kind of shit. There are ways to do that that wrong. Uh, not that I'm dissing on telltale heart, per se, but fun little side note there. And now we can get into the scenes. The main narrative focus of the film is uh, Maud is assigned to care for Amanda, who is a, uh, a former famous dancer and choreographer who has um, cancer and is dying and who is uh, sort of represents the opposite of of Maud. She's she's very um, hedonistic, you could say. She is not a woman of faith by any means. She certainly has a cruel streak about her. So Maud kind of through the course of the film sees an opportunity to save Amanda's soul before she dies like that she believes that that's her higher calling that's the the task that God has set before her to show Amanda the light before the end but Amanda is not into that whatsoever 
And that leads to, like, the primary conflict of the film uh, that sort of leads to Maud's crisis of faith. Well, it's interesting, right? Because Amanda sort of mockingly humors it. Yes. At a certain point, Maud has sort of a spiritual moment, so to speak, where she feels like she is feeling the presence of God. And Amanda sort of replicates her gestures. Yes, she mirrors her. Her gestures, yeah. Yeah, when she uh, is is praying and feels the presence of God in the room, and Amanda says, I feel it too. But, you know, we see that Amanda's really just kind of, like, playing games. She's along her. for the ride. She's along for the ride, and also there's something appealing to her about, like, trying to corrupt Maud's innocence, you know? quote-unquote innocence like a a big conflict is that like uh amanda uh has this uh this young woman over all the time carol who she pays for sex and companionship and yeah sex and companionship yeah absolutely um which is cool because she parallels mod yes as you know mod is also sort of there for for caretaking and companionship of a very different kind right well mod becomes jealous of that whether she wants to admit it or not you know she just thinks that carol's a bad influence that she's a a corrupting influence you know that amanda is near the end so she doesn't she doesn't need the influence of somebody so you know sexual and hedonistic she needs uh she needs somebody pure you know she needs somebody who can show her the way i i think you're right amanda humors that in the sense that like she she finds it kind of charming and wants to play along but by encouraging maud in the beginning she just sort of like reinforces that zealotry in Maud, which then when she admits that she was lying, that like she doesn't actually believe in God at all, then it it makes Maud's fall like that much harder because like she's been lifted up by her and then dropped from a greater height. She encouraged that shit. Yeah. And Amanda buys her a William Blake book um, of paintings of, you know, a lot of them are spiritual or Mm. religious um, directly, which plays into that as well. She signs it for Maud, my savior, and draws little wings around, little angel's wings around my savior. So that definitely gives Maud sort of an an inflated sense of herself. Mm -hmm. Whereas we know it's sarcastic. Yes. As the audience, which, damn, it hurts, man. Yeah, it it does. Fucking hurts. It does. Well, especially after like that first uh, night in Amanda's house, where after she puts Amanda to bed, she has Maud has kind of like a an ecstatic religious experience, like on the on the staircase, like going up to bed. There's multiple scenes like that in this movie. Well, it's like it's 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 like a schizophrenic break. Yeah, I love I I love how unsettling it's presented because it is like. It is ecstatic in like the 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 truest religious sense of the word, you know, um, where she's like feeling God physically in her, but like it's it's like orgasmic kind of like it's it's got like this really deep sexual undertone, but like the film does not present it as a good thing. It's uncomfortable and and kind of sad too, but mostly just spooky. <laughs> Kind of sad, but mostly spooky really sums up this movie, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it yeah. does. Kind of sad, mostly spooky. 
Well, yeah, and also, uh, you know, kind of uh, as as she's looking through that William Blake book that she becomes obsessed with, you know, there's lots of paintings and drawings of, like, saints and religious figures in similar moments of, of religious ecstasy. It really goes to Maud's head. The film's called Saint Maud for a reason. Like, she absolutely starts to view herself as, like, a saintly figure. Yeah, it's those delusions of grandeur. To the extent that she, like, drapes herself in, like, her bed sheets, like, like religious yeah. uh, robes. Yeah. One of the most disturbing parts of this movie, for me, were Maud's acts of penance throughout yes. the film. You know, at one point, she puts her hand on the stove. Another point, we see very graphically putting nails in her shoes yeah pins she pokes them through uh like a card of a saint and puts them in her shoes so she's walking around on ooh, it's nasty Ugh. and uh and the other scene where she like opens up like a, a bag of microwave popcorn and sprinkles it on the ground and then kneels on it like under her knees yeah like a piece uh, of lego like, like you're stepping on yeah. a piece of lego like ooh, yeah ouchy. It, it's it, like that that self-flagellation kind of yeah. thing. Penance. Yeah, penance. All yeah. three of those, you know, they're so tactile that you really cringe up when yeah. you see them because you can almost feel them in a lot of ways. Well, I love to the she... cut when she puts the shoe on and, like, like she starts screaming and it cuts away. Like, yeah, it's really, really intense. And when she puts her hand on the stove... That wound on her hand gets infected later. Like it's it it gets infected when she's having her like crisis of faith after she has the fight with Amanda at the party, and you know she has her her moment where she kind of questions her her purpose and tries to go out to a bar and like insert herself into friend groups, uh, and you know gives a guy a sad hand job in the corner and then bangs another guy who kind of rapes her because well whatever he rapes her uh, he does um but like yeah during that that whole sequence too she's just like or maybe it's right before that sequence she's like sitting at her table at her apartment just like pulling like rotten flesh off of that wound that's just like necrotizing Ooh, it's it's nasty well yeah because like yeah the way she, she's pulling at it like it's clearly another form of penance for her yeah. and she sees it as like you know like her her her, her body and soul are rotting or whatever yeah. and well, it's, what it's I, wretched it sucks one of the things i love too is that like multiple times in the film we get like her voiceover narration that are like her prayers which i think is a really great way to to like deliver exposition and like get her thoughts in a realistic way um that doesn't feel hackneyed at the very beginning she mentions that she has like a pain in her stomach that gets worse throughout the film that we never really get any kind of answers for she questions at one point whether it's ulcers or cancer or something but she's already got some kind of like physical illness 
like a rot in her gut that is that seems to i think exacerbate her her mental illness as well or at least serve as like a kind of parallel i'm not sure exactly what to make about that but i i I thought it was it was an interesting detail the pit in your stomach feeling yes is definitely replicated through viewing this movie (laughs) you know it very much sets you on guard and uneasy throughout the whole thing and i think Gives that uh, sinking feeling. Yeah, and some of that is just kind of literally mirroring that mm. in some respects. I think the the stomach stuff also kind of shows that maybe it's her guilt in some ways, in that she yeah. she always feels like she is doing something wrong and continually needs some sort of forgiveness. Yeah, she's looking for validation, really, throughout the entire film. Um, I don't know, I think we're reading into it too much. She's just on her period. <laughs> well, she is. She does say at the beginning that the, the stomach pains are worsened by menstrual cramps, so... This is just a this is just a movie about some dumb broad on her period. Yeah. They're crazy. Mm-hmm. Ah. She just needed a man to fix her. Yeah. That's all she needed. Fucking women. Yeah. Come on. What's this movie really about? Well, one thing we can say for sure is that this movie, it passes the Bechtel test. Oh, shit. Yeah, this movie is the Bechtel test. (laughs) It passes it in every scene. Yeah, Just about, you know, like the one bar scene is like the only scene where it doesn't pass the Bechtel test. Man. Because there are men in it. Like the rest of the movie does. Kudos. Again, (laughs) I don't don't think a movie needs the Bechtel test to pass, you know, but uh, it sure as fuck does. This is a slight tangent, but... There was a a tweet that was going around a week or two ago that's been, like, etched into my brain like some sort of forbidden rune. There was this writer talking about how her romantic comedy passes the Bechdel test and, like, 20 other tests that I've never heard of. Yeah, I want to know what uh, they are, though. Oh, God, it's terrible. Yeah, well, I'm going to find that tweet. Yeah, so I'm I'm not going to say who the tweet is from. If you're on Twitter, you can probably find it. But y'all writing a rom-com that passes the Bechtel test, DuVernay test, Mako Mori test, Vito Russo test, Smurfette principle, while also having no Mary Sue, no tokenism, and no Manic Pixie Dream Girl is possible. And my new show is doing it. Can't wait to share. Stay okay, tuned. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I was I was buying it as real up until the, the Smurfette, Smurfette test. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the, the Smurfette principle. That's not real. I think it also passes the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> <laughs> what about the Hatsune Damn. Miko? <laughs> I know. I'm gonna go- that name rings a bell. I'm going to Google the Smurfette, Smurfette principle. principle. I need to know. No women okay. under five no, feet. No, it's, it's a, okay. <laughs> the Smurfette principle is a thing. According to TV tropes, the Smurfette principle is the tendency for works of fiction to have exactly one female character amongst an ensemble of male characters, in spite of the fact that roughly half of the human race is female. Okay, so I buy that. That is a thing that's dumb it's as sure, shit. It's sure a thing, but why call it the Smurfette principle? Oh, right. If it's that common, why would you go with the well, I Smurfs? I guess Smurfette is the only female Smurf. Well, sure. Like, absolutely. It's a great example of it, but 
it's not what you want to name your serious principal, you, you know, like, like it's, it's, I uh, guess, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, like, no, I, I agree. I, I find you know, it hard you to book. take, I find it hard to take anybody seriously who says that something isn't good because it doesn't pass the Smurfette principle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't like, don't brand your ethics with the Smurfs is what I'm saying. That's a, yeah. it's a weird call. See, like, fair. see yeah. my pilot has 12 Smurfettes in it. And uh, one dude, and uh, it's all about him living with a a bunch of tiny, tiny Smurfettes in a house. Is it called the Smurfette Principle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. There it is. Wait, uh, wait, no. It's an all Smurfette school, and he's the principal. Oh, oh there you go. The principal. Shit. And it's the principal. Yeah, oh, there you go. Man. All right. Well, that's a, a movie that we have to make now. Nope. <laughs> Sign me off. Uh, See, it's The Bachelor, but it's 12 Smurfettes and one normal dude just <laughs> vying for the love of a tiny Careful, blue. Careful, you're, you're, giving, you're giving people on Rule 34 some bad ideas. <laughs> we, need, you know, we, need, we need to take a hard right turn uh, before it's too late. It already exists, for yeah. sure. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a hard right turn back to the movie that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that has Same. nothing to do with Smurfette. <laughs> has nothing to do with Smurfette. <laughs> what a great tangent. But it does. It does. However, now that we know what the Smurfette principle is, yeah. we can say... We did a learn. We have educated ourselves in this we podcast. Did, we did did a learn, and we can say definitively that this Saint movie Maud, passes. Same mod passes. Yeah, the yeah. Plus all round. Plus all round. Good, good job. Yeah, good job, Saint mod. Right, exactly. I actually do think that's a great principle. I obvious. Like, like, duh. Your movie should have that. Like, like, and you are kind of a it's fucking a, idiot if your movie valid, doesn't. It's a valid concern to have in, yeah, in writing like, anything. Just terrible think, name. But, that, yeah. That's that's my big critique on it. Terrible name. <laughs> No one's ever going to take you seriously <laughs> if you're using word terms like the Smurfette principle. Like, no one's going to listen to you. Come on. Well, that tweet has you're been doing more harm than good. Has been getting dunked on all week. So. Yeah, like yeah, they they said the Smurfette principle. Like, you're not going to do it. Yeah, everyone's going to dunk on you. Come on. Also, maybe I'm just um, maybe I'm just an ignorant man. But uh, I mean, we all are than, we all. Other than the Bechdel test, I didn't. I don't know what any of those other tests that she mentioned. Are. I'm not. I, I don't either. I don't think that that devalidates them or whatever. But like a weird weird way to to write your show. And you know, it's, like it's, they shouldn't be a checklist to go off. Right. You know, like this movie, it doesn't have tokenism because it has no characters of color. But that doesn't matter because it's not. Hey, Carol is black yeah. oh yeah true true that's or, right or maybe so it does movie. have tokenism yes <laughs> great <laughs> thanks guys god damn great yeah, this is going this is going really well yeah what a, yeah what, what, a, what a productive our most our most problematic episode yet. <laughs> yeah great who'd have thought it'd be saint mod maybe this movie needed more representation ben did you think about that and maybe it's a problem and maybe we should talk about it Let's not. I Let's talk this, about anything I else. Film, I think this film needed uh, less representation in the sense that it has too many characters as is. There should only be one character, and it is Maud. So you wanted the intro scene with her in the room, like looking up at the bug on the ceiling, the for whole eight, movie? For 80 minutes. 80 yep. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Just her and that bug. Bug representation. Dude. Okay, yeah. No, uh, retitle the movie, Her and That Bug. <laughs> You've got a film. Colon bug representation. There you go. That passes that that passes the the DDT test. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bugdell test. The Bugdell test Bugdull is way better. Yes. Yes. That's, really good. That's really good. Yeah, it passes the Bugdell test. And there it is. <laughs> Joke of the podcast, and we can all uh, we can all sign off now. Good night, folks. We did it. We did, we, we got there. This is our last episode, ladies and gentlemen. We did it. This is it. We won. We, 100, we, 150 episodes. We won podcasting. up to this, the Bugdell test. <laughs> I think, incidentally, this is episode 150, actually. Oh, shit, isn't it? Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Cheers. 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 Um, Clank. There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. So let's get back to talking about the movie. Let's talk about the quote-unquote supernatural elements of the film, because there are a few instances of them. I think they're presented in such a way that it's pretty obvious that... Um, their delusions, um, yes. hallucinations. Yeah. I don't think there's there's any danger of somebody mistaking them for literal. Uh, and thankfully, because there's one instance in particular at the end, I won't talk about yet. But if it was if it wasn't explicitly a hallucination, I would have a lot of problems with it. Yeah, I almost I, still might. I think if they, me too, maybe. Yeah, yeah. they prime that. With some yes ahead of time, and yeah. thank God they do. Well, yeah. Let's talk about the priming a little bit before we get to that. Well uh, the the first the first like truly uh, supernatural uh, thing we see is after Maud's uh, sort of fall from gr- brief fall from grace. Um, she has a really quite unsettling sort of like seizure. Uh, in her apartment, which I think is is not not uh, similar to some kind of demonic possession exorcist stuff. Um, there's thrashing on the floor and foaming in the mouth. Uh, but what it really is is that it's it's uh, it's the will of God entering her, you know, and and it ends with her levitating off the floor in into the air. Uh, which is uh, it's it's a rather striking scene. I, I I like that part quite a bit, actually. You say foaming at the mouth. I would almost call it like oozing at the mouth. It's a really wretched texture. Yeah, that they yeah. Use. It's a uh, it's it reminded me of a film we talked about recently, uh, Possession, uh, with Isabella Johnny in the in the the tunnel at the train station. Not quite to that degree. Uh, not not quite so many fluids. Um, a little bit less milk, but. <laughs> just a little bit, Just a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it, you know similar uh, and and also yeah wet. There's some, there's some milkiness there, but then uh, after that, um, not immediately after that, but shortly after that, she she hears and we hear as well the voice of God coming to her in in the middle of the night and and sort of like giving her the the affirmation that she has been craving and being like yeah totally go back to amanda you got to you know you got to save her like that is that is your your goal how did y'all feel about that like like hearing the voice of god do y'all think that was effective i was dope as shit I, I, you know what it reminded me of uh well, a couple of things uh but but primarily black philip and the witch like, yeah, like, yeah really I got does. that vibe too. Um, and also uh, the interpretation of Satan, the Black Coat Star. Also, yes. Like I that same visitation. I think those are both parallels. Ghastly visitations. Like, yeah, I was really vibing with I, it. There was, a, there was a vocal effect on it, and I can't be sure. I would have to look in the credits. But so glad you're mentioning this. I'm fairly sure that... It's a woman's voice. It is either down. her. 
I think it's her. Or I think it's her. It's Amanda. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 I would have to look in like the credits to see if that if that voice is credited. Um, but it sounds like a woman's voice pitched down, um, which I think is is cool and uh, an interesting interpretation of a voice of God in general. But also considering that it is most definitely all in her head, that it would make sense for it to either be a distortion of her voice or Amanda's voice. I think it's probably her voice. Yeah. So, what's the What's the name of the actress? Uh, what's her name? Uh, she looks. Uh, she's been in a ton. She was in Suspiria. She looks kind of like an alien. Uh, there's a lot of people in Suspiria. Oh, yeah, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Maybe it's another Tilda, like a, a, a surprise Tilda Swinton role where you don't realize it's her. Yeah, they just got Tilda Swinton and pitched her voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? Yeah. Um, I like that it spoke like Latin. I think it was. That's the thing. I could not distinguish what language that was. And I like to think that I have a decent knack for at least identifying languages. And I couldn't tell what that one was. I have a speculation. I think I think it was gibberish that was meant to sound like Latin to someone who does not know what Latin sounds like. It definitely was not plays Latin. into the That's subjective. What I'm yeah. Like like it mod, sounds like Latin yeah. to like holy Latin to some Latin to someone who doesn't know what it sounds well, like. There's also but she she wouldn't. So it's like it's her projection of like what ancient language God would say to her when she doesn't even know Latin. Like and also this is. Complete speculation on our behalf. We have not done any research. No, which is why I and said that. Like, and it's very, very possible that this absolutely is a language. But um, cool. It could have been way. like it could have been like Aramaic or something, like some dead language. Um, it definitely wasn't Latin. Uh, I I know enough Latin to recognize that. But yeah, there were not enough ooses. The the <laughs> the idea that it that it could be gibberish is is an interesting one because you know there's also the the whole like uh, idea of the Pentecostal idea of like speaking in tongues. Yes, and and like being moved by the Holy Spirit to like have seizures and speak in tongues. Um, Which I don't think I've ever mentioned on the podcast, so I've actually been to one of those. <laughs> yeah, I and, have, uh, have not. You know what? I gotta tell you, same vibe. But I've seen same some, vibe. Seen Spooky as shit yeah. is, is what, I'll, what I'll say. Uh, you know, no, one of the ones no, with snakes. Yeah, no, no. I never went to snake handling. And uh, what I, I actually went to, uh, it was a non-denominational camp where they they locked the fucking doors. You know, one of those situations. This is in the like the the fucking Bible Belt. You know, of Bama. And uh, yeah, summer camp. They advertise the lake with the giant inflatable thing you can jump on. They don't. They don't tell you about the speaking in tongues part. The group I went up there with uh, was doing the 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 praise and worship bits for the song. So like a different church had their like their pastor doing the the sermons with like beyond like vaguely racist undertones. Um, and like the Alabama, so just blatantly racist. Roll tide, correct. And uh, and so yeah, roll tide. And then uh, anyway, so my group was up was doing the praise and worship. And so like he had done a sermon. And then they were doing praise and worship. It's like, oh, I'll support my friends. You know, I'll go up there and do some praise and worship, you know, because it's like it was like it's that it's that non-denominational like praise and worship with electric guitars, you know. So like that's pretty fun when the uh, cool youth pastor yeah. with the sleeves rolled up. It, no, no, but, but really, though. Yes, and, I, I uh, also grew up in Alabama. And, I know uh, the type. Oh, yes. And uh, uh, so anyway, I'm right in the front and then the pastor comes out and he says, oh, you know, like normally we wait until like later on in the week to do this. But I'm feeling the Holy Spirit tonight. Let's you know, if you feel the the spirit of God come upon you, hold up. Every 
everyone just started fucking going off, like popping off, like like speaking. And I'm this is a lot of churches, a lot of youth groups come together. It's a big auditorium. I'm right in the middle of it, and everyone is speaking in tongues. And like you know, and fuck, dude. I think I would have just tried joining in. Well, I did because yeah. here's the thing, right? Uh, oh, not exactly. Like, uh, but. I'm there for nobody's gonna judge the you. rest well of just, the week. Yeah. Well, no, but everyone will. See, here's the thing. If I'm right in the front, right? Like, well, all these other people watch you. you. Don't. Yeah. If I you, don't, yeah. I'm fucked. I'm, I'm, their, I'm their new mission. I'm Amanda, if I do that, right? Like, like all, to all these the Isabella Johnnies. To move you. Yeah, and I knew that. Like, uh, I was like, oh, shit, this isn't good. They were doing two things. They were doing, they're speaking in tongues, and they're doing laying on hands. And they were doing healings. And so, no, no, no. They were like, yeah, if you're a, if you, if you have ADD, come on up here. We're going to cure you of your ADD. And like, you know, they brought a guy up and they, you know, like, yeah, the whole congregation is like laying their hands on him and being like, you're healed. Like, well, all I can that say shit. one thing for certain. They did not cure you of your ADD. No, sir. And, uh, and, uh, so, uh, anyway, as I continue on my ADD, like little, little, little anecdote, my ADD note. Uh, cut that. Uh, the um, <laughs> anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, time to anecdote. Duel. Think about it. Where is this going? It's going to be cut off the podcast. But anyway, I'll decide that. Fair. But anyway, so I'm surrounded by all these people. So I just, I just take a knee. And I just kind of say to you myself, oh, you Tim Tebowed, you Tim Tebowed. I did. Yeah. I did. And uh, smart <laughs> before that was a thing. And uh, yeah, so like I took a knee and and I just Damn, I just before kinda, that was a thing. Tim Tebow was a thing when we were in like, oh, I, I did it next up with something else. But uh, anyway, so I took a knee and it just everyone around me is like saying nonsense. But here's the thing, man. I fucking believe that shit. I'm not discounting it. But what I knew is it it did not have the vibes of a holy meeting. You know, like it wasn't the vibes of of something that like uh, a loving God would would bring about. I was I was getting some like very similar vibes to like the the kind of like language we were hearing in this movie. It was red. Do you know what I mean? Like you could feel it in the air and it wasn't it wasn't like holy and pure. It, it was red. And uh, so I'm just like sitting there like. Oh, God, it's like, and you know, you have that moment where it's like, all right, God, we don't talk very often, but if you could just get me through this, like, that'd be, that'd be chill, man. And of course, here's the problem, right? I just, I just like took a, took a knee and was like, all right, I'm just, I'm just going to wait out this like fucking wild, like spiritual storm that's going on around me where these people are literally trying to open a fucking portal, you know, like, like I've, I've seen horror, I've seen Hellboy at that point. I've seen horror movies. Like, I know that like when people start doing this, like, like a, a red giant fucking portal opens up, you know what yeah! I mean? Yeah. So so I'm like, uh, I wish, like, um, it's not the fun guy. So um, I just take a knee. But here's the problem. People see me taking a knee and they think, oh, You're this feeling it. we got to lay some hands. You got it. You he needs to be hands. healed. <laughs> so I suddenly like I, I, I feel a hand on my shoulder. And I'm just like, just roll with it. Just roll with it. Just, yeah, roll, just with roll with it. it. And I just kind of like peek open my eye and look around. There's like a whole fucking chain of people like all putting their hands, you know, like on each other. And like, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And, uh, you know, like and then I, and then it ended. But man, if I hadn't like I, I, I can only imagine how much shittier that whole, the rest of that week would have been. Bro, I think I honestly if I was in that situation, I think I would just say fuck it and just lay down on the floor and just start going. Honestly, know? like cuz like speaking cause, in tongues sounds low-key kind of cathartic and fun. I, you just I, blow off some steam and speak some gibberish. I feel like if you're there, 
you might as well because you're never going to have an experience like that again unless you like go to those things regularly. Yeah. Maybe now but as an like, adult, but like when I was younger. Oh, yeah, no, I probably would have been freaked out. By that <laughs> oh, yeah. Too, well, the hands part yeah. is, you know, a step beyond. Yeah. <laughs> too much. I honestly, the, the laying on of hands is like if packaged very, very differently is like kind of communal and comforting. Did they lay like, any hands on your dick? Um, no, thank God. Uh, but, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, see, I think if they did, you would have been thanking God for well, real. Oh, well, he didn't go to a Catholic. Uh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. This was non-denominational. Uh, Man, if we have any deeply religious people who listen to this podcast, <laughs> we have done a fantastic job of horribly alienating those no, people. This no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right? Like what? I, what I'll say. If, literally, all we've been. If you haven't already tuned out, if if you haven't already tuned out, what I what I how yeah, I will sure finish have. this is uh well you know in that case fuck them they're 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 not that one listen but like uh they're not true believers in this podcast yeah they're not true believers in the pod for real though like I have I have very few qualms with with much of any of that it just sure as fuck wasn't for me in that time. Um, and, uh, oh, for sure. like, uh, it just, just wasn't for me. And, uh, yeah, there, there you go. There you go. There's that. Uh, you can, yeah, believe whatever the fuck you want as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah, there you go. There's, there's my little moral tie to the well, end of that, you know? Well, let's, uh, let's use that to segue back into the last couple of scenes of this film. Yeah. We were talking about the supernatural elements. We talked about Maud's uh, sort of awakening moment when she is is levitated into the air and hears the voice of God. So she knows that she she decides that she's going to save Amanda whether she likes it or not, goddammit, and breaks back into Amanda's house to try to forcibly save her soul, which, of course, leads to a, a confrontation because, you know, Amanda admits that she was lying about feeling the spirit and... Uh, she she says to Ma, it's like, you you know there's no God. Like, you have to know that by now, right? And uh, this is my the only questionable aspect of, of the film to me, because even though I know it's a hallucination on Ma's behalf, it does feel a little bit hokey, and I'm... Interesting. I loved I think, it. I think it's intentional. I think the hokiness is intentional. It gives me pause, but just enough that I think it's worth talking about. Well, I mean, we see Amanda as quote unquote possessed in that moment. She like for she like flings Maud like across the room and she's got like a, a demon face. She, goes, she, looks like, she looks like Bilbo in uh, Fellowship of the Ring. She does. She has a Bilbo moment. Yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Thank you. I my brain had halfway made that connection, yeah. but not all the way. Yeah, I got you. That's bud. exactly what it is. Yeah, she looks she like Bilbo. Has, she has a Bilbo moment <laughs> in the Fellowship of the Ring when he tries to take the ring and Frodo won't let him and he goes after all, why Amanda, shouldn't I keep it in? Amanda has one of those moments, uh, and, uh, you know, Maud stabs her to death with a pair of scissors, um, which I think is fine. I think, I, I don't think it was ever a... Wow, you're condoning stabbing people with a pair of scissors? You think that's fine? <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, no, narratively... Cool. Wow, you heard it here. I don't know about for you guys, but I... From the beginning of the film, I was like, yeah, I think Maud's, this movie's getting in with Maud killing Amanda. Um, so, you know, that that was somewhat predictable. But, like... 
Well, yeah, you, you watch Psycho, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder how that's going to end. You're not watching it for that. I think but the, that's fine. No, 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 and that's why I'm saying it's it's not. Yeah, it's, it's like not Chekhov's a, crazy person. Yes, we're on the same page. It's uh, it's not a critique, but they call it that because you can check it off the list. I, I think the I think the reason that the that the the de- God damn think it. about it, think about it, think about it. <laughs> I I think the reason that like the the momentary like demon thing is gives me pause is because it's the least grounded moment in the entire film well and it's when mod is the least grounded yes and i and i think that that is the justification for it but at the same time it still it still caught me off guard it was like the one moment in an otherwise i think really immersive and atmospheric film that i was kind of reminded that i was watching a movie you know mm. like it kind of it momentarily broke my immersion not for very long um because i think the film's actual ending is very good which I, we'll get into in a minute but that moment is like so tonally different from the rest of the film it's like it's just like a split second of like cartoonishness the kind of shit that you would see in like a demonic possession movie well it's a traditional jump scare in an otherwise yeah. atmospheric movie and i think as a jump scare it's really effective you know yeah, I, I wasn't expecting you know it. i uh i understand your hesitation with placement but you know it, it Made me joke. Oh no! For sure. My my hesitation. My hesitation is not with placement. If there's anywhere in the movie for that instance, it was right, well. I just mean right there, in but. terms of like placement. In that, like, it goes mm-hmm. to a silly kind of immersion breaking yeah. place. It just throws against the wall like it's a Jedi fight. Like, yeah. which is which is well, pretty I mean, wild. It's, it's, it's but it would be to her. Like, it would be exaggerated. Well, like that's that. that's the thing, and that's why I don't ultimately have a huge problem with it because i think it's intentional like you said it's when mod is least grounded it's like the the height just about um except for the very end like the height of her of her kind of madness and so it makes sense but it's just like it for 30 seconds the movie becomes a conjuring. I, I you do know have what to I correct. mean? Yeah, I, I do. Just for th- just for thirty seconds, and whether it's intentional or not, it's so weird in the context of the rest of the movie that for a second I was like, oh, oh, okay, oh, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Well, I got I got over it really quickly, mm-hmm. but I, I think it's I think it bears mentioning. Yeah, like I think there are. It might just be like in the execution. Like I, I feel like there might have been some other ways. Like the effects could have been done, so it, it would have been a little bit more like. I would appreciate a little bit more subtlety. I don't. I don't even know if I needed like subtlety or if I just needed like something that felt a little less cheesy, almost. Yeah. You know, like. Um, uh, well, I think that would have been accomplished by a little bit more subtlety. Could have been. It, um, that, that's one way. Because, because like it's a CG effect when she has like the demon face, and it looks about as good as the the Bilbo scene in Lord in, uh, in Lord of the Rings, which is a twenty yeah. year old movie. True. True. Um, like it's it's for a split second. And I th- I don't know if it's just that that like brief instance of like me- kind of mediocre CG that that makes it so jarring like it it might have been better if they had gone a little bit more subtle like fuck if they or just even given practical a- or practical like if they like that's just, what I'm saying is like like if she'd had like a like a like just for a moment like a like a like if a, give her uh, some black practical demon that's all it would have taken give her some black contacts, oh uh, the make de- her eyes black nah you know? nah see there I disagree Dan the the Dantward eyes are overdone in my opinion but like uh, well yeah but, I mean that's the whole point though right that's what we're talking about like yeah. it's supposed to it's supposed to be jarring like it's mm-hmm. it's mod hallucinating that this woman 
is a demon, so she has to be killed, right? Yeah. So I don't have a problem with the uh, with the demon being kind of generic, you know, like she would have that idea from movies and pop culture, you know. So I think that I think something as 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 cliche mm-hmm. as like the black deantward eyes would have been appropriate. I think I've got a way to phrase it, and it, it sums up. Uh, it touches on the next scene too. I don't want to get to it yet, but um, and that's that this whole movie we're strapped in with Maud. And the CG, like, separates us from Maud. Yeah. And uh, I think the moment where we need to associate it with her the most. I do want to make one correction. I think we both used the term. uh, We said that it's the most – it's the scene where she's the least grounded. We're wrong. Uh, The scene where she's the least grounded is the one where she's she's levitating. levitating. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I knew exactly. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) Think about it. Um, Well, yeah, I I think that's a really good point, Cleveland, (laughs) that, like, the CG kind of – distances us from that scene i think it's a a quality jump scare and you know in terms of effectiveness it works and it's interesting because like online people keep talking about this scene as like the biggest jump scare in years and it's like no no, it's it's really not maybe for people who watch one horror movie a year (laughs) yeah and like if you're going into this movie looking for jump scares you're gonna have a bad time. Like there this are far is, better yeah, movies. Horrible, yeah, damn, saying that is a horrible way to prime jump people. This is like a, this is like a so my god. If you're yeah. if you're saying that, stop. Yeah. Like yeah. you're you're priming people to have a bad time yeah. going yeah. Well, into this and movie. It's not even like the scariest moment of the film, in my opinion. Yeah, there's you so know? many most, other ways you can. It's the most the film. startling moment of the film, but you know, like we've talked about before, being afraid and being startled are not the same thing. And I agree with you. It's not the scariest moment of the film. And I would actually argue that there is one other jump scare in this movie that I consider actually even more effective, uh, and it's the last shot of the film. And jump scares in the last shot of horror movies are not uncommon, but this is maybe the best one that I've ever seen. I actually don't like it. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, let's describe it and then let's talk about it because I'm curious. Because I, I thought that the I think the very end of this movie is is quite good. I think it's um, very good on paper. I think it's very good up until the last shot. Really? So. <laughs> really? I disagree. Interesting. I'll just describe it for the listener. Um, so the the film ends with Maud going down to the beach, dousing herself. Uh, she's she's you know dressed in her saintly garb, uh, and she douses herself in in uh, something flam in acetone I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's she's, not she's gasoline. It's it's acetone. I remember it specifically because she's acetoning for her sins. That's it. That was that was the joke. Think about um, it. Think about it. And, <laughs> and uh, so she she douses herself in acetone. And, uh, she, she, ima- like, there's other people on the beach, and at first they start being like, oh my god, what's she doing? But then she sees them as, like, as, like, kneeling down and prostrating themselves before her as she sets herself ablaze. As, as she's burning, uh, we see she's got, like, angelic sort of wings made of light. It's very idyllic, it's beautiful, you know, she's, she's got that beatific smile that we see in, in so much uh religious artwork uh of martyrs and whatnot you know it's it's very joan of arc-esque and then midsummery midsummery yes um and and also very artificial looking and then for 
just a split second, the last couple of frames of the film before it cuts to black, it sort of smash cuts to all of that is gone. She's actually burning. She's like charred black flaming and screams for, for just a split second. It's, it's just a couple of frames. And then it cuts to black is like, right as she's dying, the spell is broken for her as well as for us. I think it's very effective. Uh, I think that if they had drawn it out more, it would have been a little bit too much. But just seeing it for that that split second before black and roll credits, uh, I, I think it's just the right amount. But Ben, you do not. I'm, yeah, I'm well, curious. it's interesting because with the other jump scare, you know, the CGI kind of distanced us from the subjective view a little bit where... It, for this, it also had that same effect where it's distancing us from that subjective view of Maud. And I think it's way more unsettling and upsetting leaving it to the imagination because you know she's burning alive. You yeah. know what's happening. I I don't see what was added by showing it other than just saying, oh, oh hey, see, here. I, I- Here's the brutality. I disagree. I don't think that that's breaking us from her perspective at all. I think that it's still her perspective. It's just that she is, at the moment right before the end, freed from the the delusion that she sees herself beforehand. That in the pain of her death, in that last split second, she has that moment of realization where reality kind of hits home, but at that point it's too late. That's the way that I interpreted it. Not like it's removing us from her. It's that like that spell is being broken for her as well because she is burning alive. I, I see where you're coming from. It reminds me a lot of the ending of the movie First Reformed, which, oh, which I don't know if you seen. guys have seen. I know, nope, I've, but I've heard it's really good. I won't good. spoil it, but don't. <laughs> uh, it has a very stark ending in a similar way, but I would say in that movie it's left a little more ambiguous where this one with that act of showing the last shot it plays its hand and i i think it didn't need to i think it's way better that it did but i didn't i didn't like the cg like uh so i'm between i think i'm between the both the two of y'all on this one i agree with tease on this largely because the opposite is much closer like a uh, Christopher Nolan, Zack Snyder scenario where it's like, oh, was she? Was she imagining it all? Like, I did not want that. Like, in, in this movie, it's it's clear. It's present. It's a character study. That's the whole point of the movie. I think it's it's needed. This is not one I would want. I wouldn't want to be left ambiguous, frankly, because it already is. And it would be like it's it would be like the film is trying to come across as more clever than what it needs to be. This film is is very earnest and honest, like in being a character study. And yes, we are seeing these things from Maud's perspective, but it is still clear. And like, there's really hardly any other way to interpret it. Like the only other way to interpret it is that Amanda was actually possessed by a demon and that Maud was actually called by God, which, which I think would absolutely undermine the movie. The only way this works is if it is a psychotic break. And so to show it being that and to be clear about that, I think is confident and uh, and works. My, and I think, but that's my take. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think for me, throughout the whole movie, it's pretty non-ambiguous. 
And because of that, it doesn't ring as confident. It feels unconfident that we wouldn't understand that. That it needs to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fair. Um, uh, I, I think it's a good take. I, I, I disagree, but I, I do see it. I actually disagree with both of you guys oh, in wow. the sense that I, well, I, I agree and disagree with both of you. I agree with Ben in that <laughs> I think that the rest of the film is pretty unambiguous about whether these events are happening, but I agree with Cleveland in the sense that that last split second, I think, is is a confident decision because it's it's not about whether we as the audience believe that this is real or not. The whole thing yes. is from Maud's perspective. Mm-hmm. It's about whether she believes it. And up until that last split second before her death, before blackness, yeah. before the credits roll, that last split second is, I think, that belief falling away. Well, it's an inevitable and certain pain. Like, right. like that, the, the, that, that comes like, at the, the end and it... That, that burning to death, one of the most horrible ways to die, self-immolation, self-immolation, the pain of that is enough to shatter even the most powerful of ecstatically religious delusions. And I think it's an I think it's an interesting thing to posit because of how many martyrs in Christianity were burned to death. Yes. And depicted religiously in all those paintings of those martyrs being burned to death, they always have their eyes turned to God. You know, it's like they're dying for their belief. And, they're and going to God. They are saved in that inevitable pain. They are saved you in know, that moment. In that moment. And I think for this movie to have that last split second and like shatter that and show us it's just the exact opposite. Show us just a couple of frames of the raw, gritty reality of of her burning to death. And I I I, I should reiterate, like I said earlier, if they had drawn that moment out longer, I don't think I would have liked it no. as much. If they had had that, the CG, like, break away, and then we see her burning, and she, like, falls to the ground, is, like, rolling around, or tries to run into the sea to put herself oh, out. Oh, Christ, no. All of that, no, that would have been way, that would have been way too much. But and just, gratuitous, yeah. It would have been, it would have been gratuitous, it would have been unnecessary. In every sense, yeah. But just a couple of frames before blackness... You know, before the end, before her death, which, you know, if God does not exist, then there is nothing beyond that. It is just blackness, right? You know, I think it's it feels appropriate to me. It feels it feels just right, like in in a really in a really profound kind of way. But I don't know. That's just one interpretation. Mm hmm. I want to I want to add my my final two cents in that like I I really love that that last shot and again I I said leading into the scene I, I really like it on paper and I I don't entirely I, I think I like it in execution largely except for the CG and even still it's more of a personal preference and it's one that I see justification in and I made the joke while watching it and that was oh I haven't seen that Snapchat filter yet. Like the, like the, the, the wings, yeah. the wings look like a Snapchat filter to me that took it out of it for me. But 
I do see how it. And that is, that is I feel how like it's by design. Well, and see, I think you're right. Like, and I and I I do I do want to give credence to uh, some credit to the film because I do think that that is how Maude would imagine it. Like with her yeah. like very isolated, limited like perspective, and like like her very small world that she lives well, in. And from that she would see those holy this, wings as looking William, kind of fake. At this William Blake book too, that is mm-hmm. you know like very stylized. And um, and to the last shot shows that all of this has been artifice. So like them being artificial and yeah. looking kind of fake works i can academically like i can break down like why i think they did it um potentially or at least why i think it could read well but my gut disagrees while watching it i wasn't digging on it how i feel about it as time can continues on maybe on a rewatch that might change i think like uh my, my perspective might change on this movie um it probably will like just my, my gut reaction to it was kind of like oh this look this look kind of fake you know like they look kind of kind of bad that's some bad cg and you know like the the demon sequence was you know a little rough too well i i think i think too the last couple of frames uh you know where we see her as she is like burning um and charred that is practical and it's good and it looks good it even does. for just the little split second you can see and i think that that also helps clarify that the the cartoony ass wings and cg is as you say artificial Mm -hmm. by showing us then the reality of it for just a second yeah we've we've woken up we've snapped back to reality mom spaghetti yeah here we are spaghetti yeah uh mod realizes in her last second that she has maybe made a a big mistake (laughs) i I do find (laughs) it's not pretty i do find the artificiality of the wings and stuff pretty unsettling you know, yeah. in that, you know, it's like a, she's like a cartoon angel. Yeah, of. because she's it's, yeah. burning to death while that happens. And right. we know the what the literal situation is even before it's, you know, literally shown to right. us. So that mental juxtaposition is really striking and strong. Yeah, I don't know. I I I think you guys make some good points about that last couple shots. And I think it is certainly effective. I, I just almost wish it wasn't there just because i i think it overplays and that's just a personal preference i think otherwise the movie is super solid um one thing we didn't talk about much is the music the score really good good impressive very atmospheric and spooky and like not in a way that i would expect from this kind of movie um a movie with these kinds of religious overtones i would expect a lot of like choral music um, I would I would expect a lot of like religious kind of music and like there's some some instances in this movie that are like pretty synthy and, yeah and, and like almost carpenter esque very bone rattling th- uh, oh subs in the there base. bone rattling indeed well um, said to the point where it woke uh, piglet yeah the yeah, yeah, dog, yeah my, my, Cleveland's deaf dog <laughs> it did, it did. It yeah she uh, the, the base she popped her head right up she was, was like whoa what's going on <laughs> yeah what's what's happened around here which is I also yeah, testament, because that's ne- that's never happened in like any <laughs> of the movies we've watched like she has she been like woken up by the base like it's yeah impressive. I also want to, uh, and it's briefly, not overblown too. Like it feels good, like in the, yeah. in the scene. I also want to briefly mention uh, the cinematography. Uh, I think this film looks very nice. Um, I I think that uh, the color grading very much matches uh, a lot of the William Blake paintings that she's looking at. Uh, I I'm sure that that is by design. It's 
kind of desaturated, but like a lot of like warm earth tones, lots of browns yeah. and like maroons and then like yellows, not a lot of like cool colors like greens and blues and stuff. Um a very interesting looking film and and I like I like the aesthetic quite a bit. Um very dark too. Um sort of as you'd expect, but you know, mm. it is a horror film. Um are we ready to rate boys? Yeah, let's do it. Oh yeah. Um yeah, uh I liked this movie a lot. Um I would like to see it again. I have very few problems with it. Strong performances. We didn't mention the acting but the lead who plays Maude, she's great. Um, yeah, just just really good things all around. It's going to be a strong four and a half out of five for me. Yeah, uh, this is an incredibly strong debut, uh, directorial debut from Rose Glass. I, I'm excited to see what she does next. If you want any more uh, reason to watch this movie, it's Repulsion and First Reform thrown in a blender um, and done with the confidence of a veteran filmmaker. And it's only 80 minutes. Yep. I'm, yeah, I'm very surprised here. This um, is this, uh, this person's first film. Yeah, right? definitely check it out. It rules. Uh, four and a half out of five for me as well. Yep. Yeah, uh, ditto that. Absolutely. Ditto that. Yeah. Great. Great movie. Cool. Well, that's, that's unanimous from the boys. Uh, St. Maud, four and a half out of five. Check it out. If you like, Small, introspective, indie, atmospheric horror movies, which you know we do on the podcast, definitely don't overlook St. Maud. Um, next week, it's Cleveland's pick. What are we watching? So I was looking through classic films and trying to find something, and uh, on, on my walk over here, I, I was on the phone with my dad uh, trying to see, because like, he introduced me to a lot of like fun classic monster movies when I was a kid, and all the rest of it, and then the uh, I lost signal and uh, uh, couldn't couldn't finish the call. Uh, and then I came over here and I asked you guys, "Hey, if uh, there was a movie that you would be like, oh, I'm I'm surprised you picked that and not something else, and y'all didn't really have much other than like some other once again like the the the, the classic movies." I, I decided fuck all of that, and we're gonna go really out of left field, and we're gonna watch a movie that I have heard referenced a lot lately, just in like social circles. Oh, and I am really curious about it, and we I've I've looked at it, and I think it's one of the last boxes I need to check on this list anyway. Um, you're not gonna be pleased, uh, uh -oh. but I need to know. I've been turned off from it for a while because I think it's a really dumb title, but it's Vampire Hunter D. Which okay. is like an anime. Like yeah. apparently it's uh, yeah. apparently it's really good. I just I, I can't get over what a D. Just call it Vampire Hunter. Like what? What is it? So we're gonna find out what well, it is and it's why anime, it's anime. You've answered your own question. I, uh, honestly, I probably have. And like you know that that that's uh, neither here nor there. But we're gonna know for sure All next right. episode. I, we're I'm gonna find hyped. out. I'm hyped. That was one of my favorite anime movies as a kid. So oh, dope. Yeah, there you go. It's I've been never a long seen it. time. Yeah, well, so. you're about to. All right, I'm baby on this one. Hell yeah! Well, uh, me, me too. I well, mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, weirdly, Ben's the only one out of us. Yeah, about it. Um, well, yeah, stay tuned till next week for our review of Vampire Hunter D, whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we have a sponsor this week, Cleve? This episode was brought to you by Banana B B Borts. Uh, I'm not saying Banana Boat because they're, they're an actual company, but Banana Borts uh, uh, Special um, guilt. Uh, uh, Skin Toner. Uh, Catholic Skin Toner. A, a tone for your, sk your skins. <laughs> 
but you can only use it if you're Catholic. Otherwise, it will burn your skin. Yeah. Uh, Atone for your skins today uh, with with uh, banana boat, whatever they're uh, banana bloat. Uh, get your banana bork. Get banana bork. Get your your bits. Go on. <laughs> tan, tan your bits, banana porks. There you go. Uh, all right, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show and we're not alienated by <laughs> this... Uh, everything. Argue, like, uh, legitimately maybe our most problematic episode We, yeah, we probably, yeah, we might have we hurt, hurt a lot of people's feelings. If so, we apologize. Uh, feel you know free what? to add us. If we did, give us a spiteful five out of five. Yeah. That'll show us. Yeah, give us an ironic five out of five. Give us an ironic five out of there five. There you go. And, ta- and, and give us a nice sarcastic review like, oh, yeah, this podcast is great. Oh, and, oh These guys really know what they're talking, talking about. about. I love this podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that tone will absolutely come across in your review. Uh, so hit us with one of those and yeah. that'll really show us Mm -hmm. uh and you can also uh hate follow us on twitter (laughs) at pod people pod and uh spitefully check out our letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash pod people pod where you can find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show uh with our average ratings and links to those episodes for more things that you can go get mad at um if you really hate me you can follow me on twitter <laughs> at pod or nope that's another podcast you can, <laughs> you can follow me on twitter at some spooky snake i'm falling apart you can follow me on twitter at mr sheets and you can follow me uh via light arc studio as we put out progress on it stairs back you know the drill um, uh, we've got our uh, most recent update, Tower Call, with lots of cool new content. Um, and you can also find my work on ArtStation if you search Cleveland Mosier. And also, you can find my work via the Dread X Collection games. Uh, mo- most recently, The Hunt. It's coming soon. Very soon. So stay tuned for that. I think the trailer might have already dropped, actually. Uh, I think when this episode comes out, it should be out, won't uh, it? It's, it's on the 13th. It's coming out on the 13th. So, uh, which is known. It's a known so, fact. So, so, so I can yes. say that. By, yes. by the time this episode oh, shit. is out. Well, lucky you. It, go, yeah. go play it. It fucking rules. That and you're going to know. Already. Um, but uh, that's, that's it for me. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And until next time, hey, I'm walking with Christ here. <laughs> Joan of Arc with the Lord to guide her. She was a sister who really could. Isadora was the first bra burner. Angel that she showed up. Oh, yeah. And when the country was falling apart, Betsy Ross got it all sold up. And then there's Maud. Then there's Maud. Compromising, enterprising, anything but tranquilizing. Right on, Maud. Right on, Maud. Right on, Maud.